Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's program of Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the Fruited Plains. This is your host, George N2APB, along with co-host Joe N2CX, and we have a really good program tonight concerning the art and science of evaluating electrical connections. Now, you think you know about making electrical resistance measurements, right? So, you know, you just take that old El Cheapo volt ohmmeter, VOM, that you get from Harbor Freight or Best Buy or uh, the local uh, radio emporium that you have, and you probe the connection and voila, you got your uh, reading. Well, sometimes, as most of us know, it's really not quite as easy as that. But things can get really tricky if you need to measure accurately at the very low end of the range, say, uh, like in the milliohm region. Now, again, milliohm is, uh, is is way smaller than what most of the volt ohmmeters, those inexpensive VOMs, can reach. And many, even sometimes the digital multimeters that you get these days run out of gas down there and won't be of much use. So our topic tonight, which again is evaluating electrical connections, is concerning making those resistance measurements in those hard-to-reach areas. And we're going to present a couple of really cool and useful, simple and effective instruments that you can uh, build in order to do these kinds of measurements. We'll be talking about a, an easy milliohmmeter as well as an audible continuity tester. A couple of unique twists on both of those things. So kind of settle back and listen in here for, uh, for this topic. But before we get started, we wanted to follow up with... Uh, just a couple of extra additions to the Christmas list that we talked about last issue of uh, Chat with the Designers. You know, the, the cool things that you might want to tell your significant other or children, give gift ideas for them to give to Santa, such that you might be able to get some cool things come uh, next month's holiday season. So we're going to lead off with a couple of products that we think that, that I've personally found pretty interesting, and I think you will too. One that looks good. And another one that uh, I personally am using and have uh, here right beside my, my warm coffee cup. And uh, we're going to talk about both of them just real briefly. First is the oscilloscope watch. And appropriately so, this is in the category on the whiteboard of uh, uh, the topic, uh, the category of Chat with the Designer's new product watch. <laughs> uh, you get it? New product watch. So um, this is a new product uh, that uh, that is in the uh, Kickstarter phase from... Uh, Gabatronics. I forgot the fellow's name, but um, he actually, if you go to the link that is present here, he goes through a kind of an interesting um, description of, of the product watch and what it does and how he's doing it. And it's kind of cool. Joe and I have been getting uh, kind of regular in getting his little gadgets as they come available, oscilloscopes and logic meter and different uh, little LCD types of display types of things. And he's uh, he's quite uh, quite an experimenter and, and uh, inventor type of thing. And what he shows here is just something that you can't do without, I think. If you're a, if you're a really dyed-in-the-wool type of home brewer, having a having oscilloscope, probably just all good to the audio range. But if you're, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you cannot live with having an oscilloscope on your wrist. You never know when you're going to need to see that scope. And if you watch the video that's presented there, you'll see that there's some extra functions that are kind of wrapped in there too. You can even play chess. <laughs> you can do some other things there with your wrist. There's no end to what you can do with your wrists. All right. Um, the second item of interest is something even more tangible, and I can attest to its uh, value. Uh, it's the jam box from Jawbone. It's uh, the, it comes in three different models. Um, one is about a foot long, a foot you know a foot wide there, 
a foot by three inch by three inch perhaps. And what it is, is a Bluetooth receiving amplified stereo speaker with phenomenal kick butt uh, audio quality. Now, I thought when I would uh, connect this in, and it also has line in, when I connected it to my rigs, I wasn't expecting great performance um, from the uh, from the audio because it's not communications quality that we're interested in. You know, we, we don't need the full low deep bass response from amplified speakers, usually when we're listening to shortwave radio or ham radio. Um, but this thing came through really nicely. It worked really, really well. And um, um, the, the cool part about it, as I was explaining to Joe just before the show, is the Bluetooth audio connection from my um, from my iPhone or from my iPad or from other any other device that offers Bluetooth connections. You can dial up a uh, you know your favorite music, uh, pull in a music stream from the internet, and then play it from you know your your device up to 30 feet away or so to this. Uh, to this amplified speaker, and it is just really, really nice. I happened to get it as a gift for my for my one of my daughters, her birthday, and I loved it so much. I was almost tempted to keep it, but my wife convinced me otherwise, and uh, I'm going to put it on my own Christmas list. Um, so this this color combination I showed, which is kind of a powder blue and silver, is just a nice one that I like. I may get that one. I'll tell you, take a look at it. You'll enjoy it. They have two other models. One is um, oh, two other slightly smaller. Models. I don't quite understand the distinction between those two, um, but they are smaller and they would be perfect for QRP operation. Taken to a club, anytime that you don't want to wear headphones, you could plug in this thing here, uh, plug your rig into this and uh, have just really nice audio. Admittedly, it's a little bit on the expensive side. Even the small ones are like $145, I think. And you might go when you hear that, but keep in mind that it's also a speakerphone. So, I mean, in conjunction with your smartphone, it uh, it has intelligence to, to speak with the the uh, the smartness in your phone to act as a speakerphone, and uh, you can automatically dial with voice, uh, activate your your phone's features through the microphone that's built into this device, even with a little small one. So it's really handy. Okay. Um, just to toss it out there for a quick moment, has anybody come up with any other really cool finds since last time? Any other new products that you want to bring to the light of uh, everybody here on board? Okay, nothing heard. Then why don't we go on to the topic of the night, which is connections, the science and art of making uh, of evaluating electrical connections. As I said before, this might sound mundane, but it's really kind of cool. We approached it, as we normally do, in a bit of an instructive, incrementally building type of uh, approach, so as to capture the imagination, to get that pulse going, to build to a crescendo that is just unbelievably uh, enlightening. So, um, Joe, why don't you kick us off a little bit as far as as far as connections, like, uh, I, I know I don't want you to sing as you did the other night, Om, Om on the Range. Your voice uh, your voice uh, is great, but I, I'm not sure that all of our listeners here on Chat the Designers would appreciate it as much as I and Teddy, my dog, did. He was actually howling along with you. But why don't you proceed with Om, Om on the Range, Joe? All right, good. Well, that's uh, that's fine. I'm glad you were able to do the initial jawboning there to describe the new products. Um, I'll make the connection now with uh, with the other topic of the night, the big topic of the night. Uh, he said plentifully. Yeah, connections are really a big part of electronics. You know, when you think of it, if you look at the whiteboard, uh, there's just an explosion of different different kinds of connections shown from um, audio, uh, coax, 
uh, power connectors, uh, plug-in connectors, screw-in connectors, multi-pin multi, uh, connectors, uh, <laughs> BNCs, SO239s, uh, PL259s, uh, Type N. They all have one thing in common. They have electrical connections. So it's, for, it's a very important part of electronics. And um, George quoted what I told him here. 90% uh, of all problems in electronics deal with connections. I got this from a, um, a technician who happened to be a ham buddy of mine. Uh, oh, Lord, I hate to think how many years ago. But it's it's amazing how often that, that tends to be true. And a lot of the times when we're doing troubleshooting, we're looking at the quality of connections we have uh, and trying to evaluate uh, whether they're, first of all, whether they're connected uh, and then the uh, how good the connection is, if it's if it's adequate to do the job. So, um, like I say, a variety of connectors shown here, a um, whole spectrum of them, uh, makes you think, you know, when you look around the shack, uh, my goodness, how many electrical connections do I have? From uh, all the headphones plugged in, the keys plugged in, uh, compu computer plugged into the wall, um, mouse plugged into your uh, into your computer. Um, in fact, I have a, a Bluetooth mouse here, but that's got a connection to the computer, too, because there's uh, a Bluetooth gadget that plugs into the uh, uh, USB jack on the computer. Um, other things that often um, we have connections that have to be uh, checked, evaluated, is relays. Um, many electrical contacts in there uh, that uh, sometimes give us trouble. As uh, relays age, they uh, they can tend to have mechanical problems. Or in fact, if you uh, if you overstress the relay, put too much uh, current through the contacts, it can burn and cause. Uh, cause uh, electrical problems. Uh, and I've seen also uh, misapplication of relays. Uh, for example, many power relays have what they call a uh, breaker. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean that to, to be as much of a breaker to you, but I was just going to make a comment uh, on one hand that uh, when when things age, and you were saying how things age and break down, I mean, that's that's analogous to, to the human body as well. Um, but the contacts are made of, of of gold and silver and tin and who knows what else and and that kind of helps that whole process doesn't it exactly and that was the next uh, the next topic i was going to mention um Power relays often have contacts that are um, specific to their application. Um, they, they use something called silver cadmium oxide, SCO, in power relays often that has a, um, a self-wetting capability. When you run power through it, if you, uh, when you run power through it, uh, the, the power tends to break down any oxide coating on the uh, relay contacts so that you get a good connection. On the other hand, um, any, any contact, SCO or brass, copper, whatever, uh, can often form an oxide film on there that, uh, that will give you a high resistance. Uh, in that case, you want to use uh, gold or, or some other material that doesn't tarnish uh, for the contacts. But you can only do that with small signal stuff because if you put a fair amount of power through there, if you put enough power through, it's going to burn off that gold coating, and then you end up with a contact that's even worse than, uh, than having nothing there. It can be an oxide, bad oxide coating. Uh, other things we find problems with are cables. Uh, there's a, and the whiteboard shows a uh, worst case cable mess in um, in somebody's uh, equipment room. But every one of those cables has not only the conductors that can break, but uh, connections at the at the ends um, to um, to their connectors that uh, can develop. Uh, problems, connection problems. Terminal strips, you know, uh, they're generally pretty good. You have lugs or wires that go onto the terminal strips, but at times they can become loose or you can have uh, oxidizing problems or heat might uh, might melt the plastic insulation and make it come apart mechanically. And of course, I'm sure we're all familiar with solder connections. If you have a, uh, a bad solder joint that's not making a good electrical connection, or in fact, uh, even a no solder joint, something where you haven't, solder has not fully wetted the um, 
the wire, the, the component lead to the pad on the PC board, you can have you a bad connection. So you, you want to have some means of evaluating that. And then again, there are PC traces uh, that can cause connection problems. Um, when you get a new PC board, it's not unusual, uh, depending on the quality of the, the manufacturer, to have uh, traces that might have hairline shorts between them, which would be unwanted connections. Or in some, some uh, cases, if you've done your own PC board and uh, in the photo processing, you inadvertently have a hair or something that uh, uh, gets in there when you're masking the, the, the um, Masking the uh, printed circuit traces, you'll have a hairline open that can be uh, an open connection. Uh, George had another thought. No, I've always got thoughts, Joe. That uh, open trace open trace condition happens even when we, the designers, put together some circuit boards and get them back from the fab shop. And um, even if it's a an okay width uh, trace, sometimes a, a goober or something in the uh, in the fab process prevents the uh, the trace from um, being complete. In other words, it gets etched away during its own process there. So even a good circuit board can occasionally come back from the fab shop um, with uh, opens on it. That happened on uh, one of one batch of our new PSK modems. The NUE PSK modems had an open trace there, and and that was a, a particular problem. One of the cases that came um, that that I encountered was you know kind of go up a couple of pictures there on the um, uh, the terminal strips. And this actually was back on my uh, in my backyard. I've got the ground radials connected to my ground plate there at my vertical uh, by means of, of um, lugs that go onto the uh, the terminal uh, that are bolted to the plate. When I or the dog or the lawnmower or whatever kind of go over a, an uneven piece of ground, it puts tension on the ground wire, which ultimately pulls at that connection and pop the uh, wire right out of the of the ground lug uh, of the uh, spade lug that was connected to the screw what what safeguards can we as home brewers do i mean short of solder in each one of those out in the field which in, in in itself is tough but i mean it could be done and might offer some other problems but you know i've there's actually a technique for properly crimping spade lugs using some of those nifty difty little dimple types of crimper type of things you crimp it one way and then you turn it 90 or 180 degrees and you crimp it another way but even so i was able to pull the wire out i didn't do it well enough any thoughts on that um, me or, or the group? Actually, let's see if the group has any thoughts on that, because it's uh, probably a pretty common situation. No, okay. Well, yeah, I, I, of course, I can uh, I can spout off on, on almost any subject. It is indeed a problem that uh, uh, mechanical connections, crimp connections, can be imperfect, and a uh, little bit of uh, weathering doesn't uh, doesn't make things any any better. It's it's always a um, potential for for problems. Another thing that can happen particularly if you're using um, solid wire going to a connector. If you haven't very carefully stripped the solid wire, you can put a nick in there, which eventually, with a little bit of vibration, might make the wire break free uh, at the uh, terminal connection. Or if you're using Teflon coax or Teflon um, insulated wire, uh, you can you can often nick conductors when you're trying to strip the insulation off. You can make a mechanically weak joint that can eventually go and uh, cause you problems. Uh, what what kind of wire were you using on your uh, on your ra for your radials, George? It was number sixteen or number fourteen stranded wire with a really good uh, um, flexible 
um, insulator in, insulation, and it actually came from DX Engineering. By the way, guys, if you if you haven't seen that uh, ground radio kit from DX Engineering, outstanding quality. <laughs> you still have to do this, the the crimping of the solder lugs, which is where the quality de uh, deteriorates because of me, the user. But the um, that ground radio wire is just really really good, and that ground radio plate from DX. DX Engineering is uh, is a great great value. Stainless steel. They supply all the hardware, and uh, it, it's just perfect for doing that. But that's it, Joe. Stranded number sixteen or number fourteen? I forgot. Okay, yeah, yeah. That uh, that plate is incidentally very good. Uh, George and I put up an antenna for uh, Nancy Feeney, a butternut vertical, and uh, we used that plate and their stainless hardware. Um, shucks, the thing looks a little expensive, but by the time you you go out and try to have something like that fabricated or to make it yourself and to buy all the hardware, uh, it's very very inexpensive. Another, Another connection, connection thing in uh, um, in conjunction with the antenna that uh, George and I did was um, PL. 259 connectors and the connections there you want to expand on that george oh um i don't know what you were saying there joe i was just um interrupting because relative to that uh stainless plate i had installed one as you know oh some 10 years ago on my original vertical placement back in the back of the yard and over time, it had become overrun with thatch and other dirt. I had to actually dig it up when I relocated my vertical just uh, last month. And I dug that thing up, I washed it off, and that stainless steel plate and all the hardware was completely reusable, just like new. And, I mean, that's one of the benefits of using uh, stainless. Uh, that, that's, that was all I had to say. Okay, yeah, I was going to talk about some of the troubleshooting we had to do once we put the antenna up. Um, it was erratic. And uh, what we found was we had bought uh, commercial um, cables, RG8 or 9913, whatever cables, with um, PL259 connectors on there. And what we found after much um, uh, jerking around, you, you don't suspect commercial cable has a problem. What we found out was that the uh, shield in the connector on one end of the cable was improperly soldered. It wasn't a solid solder connection. So as you jiggled it, it made connection and broke connection and uh, <laughs> just didn't want to work. As I recall, we tried to repair it and put a new PL259 on the cable. And uh, because the heat melted some of the insulation, I think then the darn um, center conductor was shorted to the shield inside the connector. So then that was another troubleshooting exercise to uh, figure it out. But as George can attest, and I'm going to turn it back to him, even the simplest little thing like a coax connector can give you uh, endless amounts of fits uh, if, if you don't check all the connections very carefully. Oh, geez. Now I recall what you were getting at there, Joe. I remember that time so vividly because, you know, we couldn't figure out where that um, intermittent, that, that jiggling connection was coming from because, after all, it was a pre, uh, pre-prepared pre uh, uh, cable from the vendor, from the manufacturer. We bought like, a, I don't know, maybe 150 feet of LMR or some other kind of good coax. We just had the uh, connectors on there when... Uh, when we order them and uh, who who to thunk right who to thought that the uh, the problem would be that way and then of course me with my big old uh, heavy-handed uh, soldering i just melted things away and we had further problems so that was uh, that was an activity that extended out in time just a little bit more than we had anticipated oh well you know connections too have problems joe i mean it's like the, the next photo there i labeled it the uh, mechanical physical joints uh, when you connect connectors, when you connect, uh, in this case here, it looks like a uh, an RCA plug going into an RCA jack extender connector or something, which then goes into the uh, USB connector. But anytime you plug a plug in, 
you're making electric contact, of course, with the, the jack on the receiving side, and there is opportunity for um, for failure, or at least for intermittency, and it's something to be careful of. Joe, you can kind of attest to uh, some of the problems with a plug being plugged into your K, well, into into a rig that you had, whereby, um, you know, you bent or bumped the, the connector and uh, the plug that was into the connector, and it kind of messed up the internal connector, didn't it? Yeah, it was actually a little more um, a little more than that. Um, those who have heard, heard you uh, talking about my acquisitions lately know that I, I bought a KX3 Valleycraft. I absolutely love the thing. Um, I, and when I bought it, I, I treated it with kid gloves. I was very, very careful. Um, but I noted after about a week of operation, the, uh, the I wasn't getting power to the rig from, from an external power supply. It was operating off the battery all the time. Make a long story short, what I found out was the um, uh, coaxial power jack on the uh, in the unit was surface mount soldered onto a PC board, and the ground connection they became physical. The uh, the connection to the solder joints on the, the ground of the board became intermittent. Now, I'd not stressed it or anything. It was apparently a, uh, a weak solder joint at factory that had just come loose in in um, uh, in my, my using the thing, plug and unplugging the power connector. And, in fact, I sent it back to the factory and Alicraft made good on it. What they did was um, they soldered it with a jumper across there, and they beefed up the connection, the physical connection of the connector to the board by putting uh, epoxy around it. So there's a solid mechanical connection so that the electrical connection was no longer stressed. But as George pointed out, it's just another example of some very simple connection conceptually that um, can go wrong, even uh, even when you try to exercise the best of care. Anybody else have some interesting stories there about connectors and kind of like what went wrong when you didn't expect it was going to go wrong? How about your coax switch in the basement, George? Wow, I hadn't thought of that in ages. Yeah, I've got this pretty nifty, or I had, had this pretty nifty coax switch. If this is the instance you're thinking of, Joe, I think we all have coax switches, and this was a nice six-pole, uh, six six-connector uh, routing type of um, um, coax switch. You know, SO239s all around the edge, yada, yada. And uh, I take my main antenna feed, and I connect it to six of the uh, different radios that I have here. And, uh, you know, one of the connections just was not really good. What was the specifics on that, Joe? Was it intermittent or um, uh, red, uh, red, kind of like a noisy connection or what? Um, I think the connection to your main radio was good, but um, you had uh, another, another one of the switch positions went to uh, your test uh, position on the bench so that while the antenna sounded good in your main rig, um, the signal was not getting to a radio you happened to be testing, so you were unsure whether or not the radio was bad or just what was going on. Oh, that's right. I do recall that now. Yeah, so, you know, uh, <laughs> you test it with your main rig, and you know you got a good signal coming in. I mean, the stations are booming in, and uh, the way that I've got my rig, my station, my bench set up is that uh, that that road that routing rotary coax switch takes my main antenna feed and one of the connections one of the positions uh brings it down to a coax cable that kind of is just hanging here in front of the bench and i can connect that into a my radio under test or whatever, and uh, that's that that position wasn't working. So I figured since it was working on the rig, the uh, the signal was getting to the rig, and when I flip it over and it came down to the bench, that whatever I was testing was not working. So we were racking our brains on that one. I think you came up with the idea to to kind of look at the switch and see if that was a suspect. So that's even as simplest of things, connections can uh, can cause problems. Joe, let's get let's get past all this pussyfooting and get down to the real meat. Look at that flowchart if you would. Now, 
You would think that. Common sense would tell you that you know when to use uh, whatever kind of device that you might have. I guess if you look at what you've got on your bench, there are maybe three different devices. Most of us have two different devices. We're going to ultimately lead to a third device, but uh, maybe you could kind of guide us through there. What are the basic, uh, what's the basic starting point for, you know, like what you got on your bench? Um, what's a step up? And if you want to get some decent measurements, everyday common type of measurements. And then the, the real meat of the show here. Grab onto your seats, folks. This is really hot stuff. The uh, When you really have to measure going low, what do you do to get those low connections? Joe, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> Thanks for the build up, George. Yeah, as mundane as connections can be, um, as we pointed out from some of our war stories, uh, it can get you in a lot of trouble if you don't follow things systematically. So we sat down the other night over uh, a good, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Anyway, some good beer and, and discussed what is the right way to go about troubleshooting connections. Um, just in general, we came up with this flow chart. Um, the first thing you do is um, you, you do something to, uh, you hook up something. And if it's good, if you have a good connection, um, you go down in, in the right-hand side of the flowchart. If it's not, you go to debug. And if it's good enough, for example, if you hook, you flip the switch and um, the antenna works through the radio, it's good enough. You, you know, you don't have to go any farther. Um, if you have to debug, you've got to do something to test the quality of the, the connection. There are a couple things you can do. The, the uh, level zero type of test you do is with something called either a buzz box, uh, piezo buzzer, or some sort of, of um, audio connector, audio continuity tester. Sometimes they're built into um, your VOM, your DVM. Uh, sometimes you have an external device, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, if that continuity is good and uh, it says you've got a, a connection, okay, fine. If, if you don't have a good connection there, you've got to actually go in and try to measure how bad the connection is, measure the quality of the, the uh, uh, connection. A couple ways of doing that, the next level down, is to use a, uh, an ohmmeter of some sort, perhaps your digital voltmeter, that lets you measure ohms, uh, measure the resistance of the connection. If it's a dead open circuit, then you have some sort of, uh, which may also have been shown by the buzz box, but if it's really high resistance on the DVM, on the order of megohms, you probably have a bad connection. You have to look physically at uh, what's going on. If it's, uh, you know, on the order of 1,000 ohms or something, you probably have a probably a dirty connection or something not quite right, corrosion in the connector. Um, many times, if it's good, it'll be down in the ohm range, and uh, that's not a problem. In some cases, however, and we'll talk about some others later, you, you want to measure even below an ohm. You've got to look at milliohms, thousands of ohms, see what's going on. So you look at, uh, you use a, a special milliohmmeter, surprise, surprise, to measure those low resistances. And uh, we'll show you some of those. Um, any questions? Flowchart's not 100%, but the words tell you exactly, uh, give you an idea of exactly the things you have to do to in, uh, in uh, troubleshooting some of your connections. Any, uh, any questions on this? Hey, Joe, what was the name? Quick, a quick test here for the memory. What was the name of the neighbors of Laura and Rob Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke show? And what was the name of the lady who was the neighbor there? Wasn't it Millie? Millie! Oh, my. All right. Let's, let's go into some of the devices here a little bit. The, um, the continuity testing with an electric, electromechanical buzz, well, a buzz box. It was called a buzz box because it uh, had a battery in there, some test leads in series with a, uh, with a buzzer, an electrical buzzer. We got a picture of the buzzer here and a schematic and all that. Not going to go into detail there. But it was an electromechanical device that lets you see whether or not... Um, 
you had an electro- electrical connection. When you were, uh, I can speak in industry, when you've got a big panel with a lot of connections, a lot of connectors, uh, you want to go through quickly. So you just touch each connection one by one with this buzz box. And if it buzzes you, figure it's a good connection, you go on to the next. And when you see something that doesn't buzz, where there's no continuity, you know that it's not there. One of the problems with that is that if all you're doing is testing wires, it's not a big deal. But unfortunately, it uh, takes a little bit of power to run that uh, buzzer. So the, uh, just the current alone of the buzzer, if you're dealing with something that has electronic devices, solid state devices in there, uh, you can zap them with the current it takes for this. Uh, another disadvantage is that... Uh, because you have a relay, an electromechanical um, device in there that opens a circuit, you get a big inductive kick, so you get a high voltage impressed on there, which can also zap devices. If you have some sensitive electronics in there, you might burn them out. Um, and I, I can honestly say I've learned that the hard way. Another simple continuity tester is, uh, I've got a little schematic here. It's a, a battery, uh, a series resistor, and an LED. If you have a good connection, the LED lights. If you don't have a good connection, the LED is dark. And uh, a third would be to use um, a piezo buzzer, um, something that uh, it's a, a little oscillator that uses a, a piezoelectric element and a transistor uh, when you uh, to run power through the thing. When you hook your test leads up, you know if you have uh, if you have a connection, the thing beeps. If you don't, it uh, it doesn't beep. It's kind of the modern mechanical, uh, modern electronic analog of the old uh, buzz box. And it still maintains the uh, ambiance, if you will, having uh, having a buzzer. Um, any questions or uh, any uh, clarifications, uh, anything from uh, the group or from George? I will send out a special little prize to the first person who can shout out or text in the last name of Jerry and Millie, the next door neighbors of Rob and Laura Petrie. And Joe, can you tell us the uh, can you tell us the the, the concept in when a, on a buzzer as far as you know what makes it go back and forth and the real simple electromechanical part of that? Oh sure, yeah. You know the idea is that uh, there's a um, there's an armature on the uh, buzzer that uh, is uh, when it's de-energized, it completes the circuit between uh, a battery and uh, and the electromagnet on the on the buzzer. Um, so it completes the circuit. Then when you uh, apply current, the uh, you energize the electromagnet. It pulls the armature away from the uh, making contact, so it opens up the circuit. So that it de-energizes the uh, the coil, and the contact uh, mechanically then closes again to re-energize. And the time constants of the, uh, the the spring on there, the spring on the armature, and the mass and everything else depends. Gives you uh, what the the buzzing frequency is. Uh, the frequency of the buzzer is. Old, old doorbells work this way. Those you might be familiar with the electromechanical types and uh, any number of old buzzers uh, mostly electronic uh, these days uh, an old concept but um, it was it was the original continuity tester indeed funny that was a uh, uh, and by the way l n8wq got the uh, got the gets the uh, the award for knowing that helper was the last name of jerry and millie next door neighbors of rob and laura petrie um, next, what street do they live on? What street do they live on? I'll, I'll almost guarantee you that that is not in Google. So Google's not going to help you on that one. Um, the uh, One of my early engineering projects, Joe, was, uh, this is like in the first year, uh, engineering overview or engineering whatever. 
back in my college, back when I took it, uh, was was analyzing that kind of a thing: the spring constant and the mass of the uh, of the thing being moved, and and uh, all of that determined a frequency, uh, which translated to a frequency of the of the tone being generated. So let's get into a little bit of uh, let's get into a little bit of the. Uh, audio stuff, Joe. This is the meat of the program. Folks, really, hang on to your seats here. This this is about to take off like a like a Saturn rocket. Uh, this is this is unbelievable stuff. You, you really, you, you gotta hang on to your hats here. We're gonna talk about an audio circuit here that uh, is more than a continuity tester. It is more than a uh, resistance measurement type of thing. I mean, this is something you could do with your eyes closed and really have a lot of value. Joe, go ahead. Oh my! Uh, you you uh, ruined my lead in there. Um, I, I've got to admit that um, I didn't come up with this this circuit originally, but I called the quick tone oscillator. Um, some of you may know that I write a little quick uh, circuit, uh, whatever ideas for uh, the Cure Peak Quarterly magazine. I call them Joe's Quickies. Well, Quickie number thirty was the quick tone oscillator, which was a circuit that uh, I learned from a, uh, a blind friend of mine who is a ham, uh, Tony W W A three C A O Tony McCloskey. He is a fantastic guy, uh, sharp as a wit, sharp, sharp as a uh, attack. I taught an antenna class at work, um, an after-hours antenna class for engineers and techs. A lot of diagrams, a lot of figures, and the rest of that. I talked to them verbally, and Tony could visualize them. Yeah, very sharp guy. One of his main tools is a, a tone oscillator, which is the gadget that uh, we talk about here, the QTO. Um, it has two contacts on it, an audio oscillator. We'll talk about the circuit later. But the two contacts allow you to measure continuity. Um, the, the, um, the tone of the oscillator, whether or not it's on or off, of course, depends on whether there's continuity. But also the frequency, the tone of the oscillator, depends on the external resistance. So in addition to doing just the continuity tests we talked about um, above, you can use it for, for other things. Very handy. Um, it's not exact, but it's... it's um, qualitative you know high pitch means uh, low resistance low pitch means uh, high resistance so for example and Tony has done this you can use a cadmium uh, photocell uh, connected to the, the terminals of this uh, tone oscillator and um, if if there's no light on the photocell it's a high resistance so it doesn't oscillate but then as you illuminate light on it and the um, resistance of the cell goes down uh, it changes the pitch. It turns on the oscillator and it changes the pitch, so that you can get some idea of what's a bright light or what's a dim light. And for uh, a, a blind person, that's a great thing, handy thing to do. You can, in fact, you can make an optocoupler from this too. Um, you can use it. It's polarity. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> you got to look at your at your uh, your console there, Joe. I didn't mean to interrupt you mid sentence, but just to kind of log a log an opportunity. If you put, you could put a. Um, a, uh, um, I'm not sure what kind of a sensor it would be, a water sensor, and stick it into your cat litter and hook up an audio detector to it. And while you're up watching the Dick Van Dyke show on TV, you would know whenever your cat was going down there and doing his thing. Oh, my, spying on the cat? Uh, doesn't doesn't uh, Xfinity do that these days on your smartphone? I, I think it, it might do that. But also, um, the um, it, it might be infringing on the constitutional rights <laughs> of, of the cat. <laughs> canine, consti canine constitutional rights, oh my. Anyway, yes, indeed, you could do all sorts of things with that. Um, as I mentioned, the uh, the tone oscillator is polarity sensitive too, so you could use it as a as a diode tester. Um, some other, um, what do you call it? Some other uh, continuity testers will do this as well. But it's it's a um, uh, just a gadget to. Uh, to uh, to let you do more than just simple continuity, and as I mentioned earlier, you could use as a uh, uh, 
a light-activated relay. And one example here, if you have a, uh, a neon bulb with a resistor in series that uh, lights up when you hook it to AC, if you put that in a, uh, a darkened um, piece of shrink tubing or something uh, next to the photocell um, and hook the photocell to the test oscillator, you can tell when there's AC uh, present. The AC is, is on to make an AC um, circuit tester. And indeed, my friend Tony does this. He has a little gadget built with an electrical plug so that he can tell whether or not a uh, uh, an electrical outlet is hot by doing this. Um, and in in terms of uh, checking, <laughs> we have lots of uh, side conversations going on here. Um, you can also do things with uh, uh, checking polarity with the um, uh, it's a simple application, but using a double pole, double throw switch to uh, to ch change the polarity for a diode. Um, but the, the, the idea is that this quick tone oscillator, in addition to being a simple continuity tester, also lets you get some idea of the um, a gross idea of whether or not the resistance of whatever you're measuring is high or low, uh, and some some feel at least for um, whether or not it's uh, uh, whether it's a good connection or not connection. And uh, thirdly, uh, you can you can check things like uh, diodes, uh, it's continuity with uh, polarity. A very handy device to have. I have built probably three or four of them. Um, I use them for a while. I've got it on a PC board in a little box, and uh, I misplaced the dang thing, and uh, then I build another. Um, and uh, quite honestly, I've forgotten my last one, so uh, last night I <laughs> gathered, or not last night, but this afternoon I gathered more parts to build another one. So it's handy enough that it's uh, part of my standard test equipment. I'm going to have to build another. Um, George, why don't you go to the next level of um, sophistication in measuring resistance or connections and talk about the uh, digital multimeter? Oh, digital multimeters, uh, close to my heart, close to my my uh, my butt, because I often carry a digital multimeter around with me wherever I go. I mean, I go to the movies, I, I go to uh, uh, the, the automobile store, and I'm sitting waiting for my car to be repaired. I've got one in my back pocket. I go uh, to check the mailbox, and I've got one there. But you never go anywhere without it, because they are so cheap. They're so inexpensive. And, but... Uh, Harbor Freight and some other places, you can get these things for like two bucks. And they're really handy for what you can do with them. I mean, look at all the positions on that front dial. I mean, you must have 30, well, 13 different connections there that you can make for voltage, resistance, uh, current, voltage, resistance, and more current, and, and even more. Um, but a problem that you run into is some of these low-cost, easy-to-give, giveaway, easy-to-get giveaway type of, of meters. You know, you, you buy a can of soda at uh, at the grocery store, and they sometimes give these things away. Is that the range is not sufficient? It's normally good for like one to one megaohm. Joe had mentioned that a bit before, and that's great. I mean, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent of the time, kind of to quote an ivory commercial. That was on the Dick Van Dyke show back in the 1960s. Um, 99 to 44 one hundredths percent pure was the, uh, the 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 frequency that you would uh, use such a meter very effectively. Continuity voltages and and so on. You could even measure that that 3.1 volt cell <laughs> that was indicated in that uh, LED circuit just a couple of uh, diagrams up, and uh, you do that pretty well. But when it comes time for doing some of the specialty things, the other uh, the other 0 0.56 percent of the time, then you need something really special. You want to get down into the milliohm region. Joe and I kind of encountered this uh, um, an application where we needed to do something. And long story short, we won't dwell on it too much, other than just to mention that 
I'm uh, I'm I'm contem I contemplated past tense. And this is a long story, really short, but I was going to build a 160-meter loop, a small transmitting loop, magnetic loop, um, seven-foot uh, circumference copper tube of one inch. And uh, one of the things that I, and this is I had before, and it's kind of in storage in the garage. So I wanted to measure it to see if all the connections, it was octagonal. So it had a number of uh, solder connections that were about 10, 15 years old. And uh, I wanted to know, did I have to kind of put uh, 59 kV through the through that loop in order to measure the voltage drops to see if it was adequate? And Joe said, oh, no, 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 no. Just put about 100 milliamps through it. So I said, how would you do that? And that led to this uh, this whole program here tonight. And um, um, I wanted to measure the, the resistance of that loop because it matters very, very, very much on the performance of a loop, how low its um, resistive loss is. And I wanted to see what that was. And, you know, it's going to be down in the 10 milliohm range is what Joe said. So um, that got us thinking, okay, what are we going to do to measure milliohms? So Joe had this technique that was previously published in a Joe's Quickie out of QRP Quarterly. Um, a product of the American Radio and ARCI, QR, QRP ARCI. Um, and uh, um, uh, it's an article that Joe publishes every single quarter for an ongoing series of how many issues, Joe? Um, I think the current one is 85 or 86. 85 or 86 quarters in a row, Joe has supplied quickies for this uh, QRP quarterly magazine um, column that uh, that he that his article is in. So um, we resurrected that and shared a little bit of information about this, but also the background on you know like what it is to measure low resistance and why 100 why 100 mils, Joe. Okay, uh, yeah, 100 mils is is kind of a bogey number. Um, Actually, measuring, uh, if you're measuring milliohms, you might think a uh, good number to use would be to, to pump an amp through uh, contacts uh, and look at the uh, the voltage drop across it. Problem is, an amp, uh, first of all, if you're operating for batteries, you need uh, you need some hunkin' batteries to do it. Uh, secondly, an ampere can be damaging to some components. So uh, 100 mils, a tenth of that, is, is fairly easy to supply in a portable piece of equipment from uh, AA batteries, which are my favorite uh, things to use. And it's of a, um, uh, of a magnitude that uh, does not overly heat um, connections that are poor. Uh, and if you have semiconductors in there, you're, you're much less likely to zap them to use uh, than if you're using higher current. So kind of a compromised number that uh, worked out to be um, good enough to do the job. Okay, well that's a hundred. That's that's why a hundred mils, and uh, basically what you want to do, you know, the the uh, the age-old time-tested equation of resistance is equal to voltage divided by current is uh, is used here. I mean, this is complex stuff. I mean, you gotta you gotta take out your slide rule and use your linear interpolation of your log tables in order to get these answers here. But son of a gun, you can do it. If you have a constant current of 100 mils and you're able to t measure the voltage across this device that you're squirting that 100 mils through, chances are you're going to be able to measure some millivolts, which correspond, of course, can be can can be computed, again, using your log tables and, and uh, slide rule and abacus, to the resistance. And that's what I was interested in finding out, was the resistance of my loop. Joe, I forgot what the number was, ultimately. It was like on the order of, uh, oh gosh, I forgot, it was tens of milliohms, was it not? It was nine milliohms. 
And almost a 10. Almost a 10. And uh, that's probably in the barely acceptable range, but we're going to explore that in just a moment because it's so, so very much of interest. Um, how much resistance you have in a loop because the whole idea of a loop is to reduce the reduce the resistive loss and uh, it directly affects the efficiency of your loop which is by the way frequency dependent and this is something that didn't dawn on me right away which was the decided factor why I decided not to make a loop 460 meters because uh, the efficiency was so dang low that uh, at, at 160 meters uh, at 1.8 megahertz that uh, that the efficiency dropped off precipitously as they say so um, we were able to measure uh, about 10 mils um, through that that I would not have otherwise with normal human mortal methods been able to uh, to determine so this technique of uh, creating a constant current generator and then measuring with a a VOM or a DMM that had sufficient resolution to give me millivolts, not those, um, the El Cheapos from, from uh, uh, Harbor Freight and such, but something a little bit better that probably most of us have. The combination of there was able to um, tell me that um, I was in a ballpark, at least from a, from a resistance standpoint. And Joe, from a loop perspective, there are some other things that contribute to loop resistance, uh, uh, notably the capacitor, right? Indeed. Um, uh, trying to see uh, exactly what's in that. Well, if you go down a little bit in the uh, in the uh, the whiteboard, you can see a a colored area with with uh, some tables on the left hand side and uh, a chart on the right hand side. Um, this is a uh, uh, magnetic loop calculator by uh, Steve Yates, AA5TB, uh, available on the web, and and he has uh, the URL is in the whiteboard later. It's a uh, a spreadsheet that allows you to plug in numbers for the various parameters of a magnetic loop antenna and do some calculations to uh, to find other parameters, the bandwidth, the efficiency, um, radiation resistance, and such. Uh, the takeaways from this are, if you plug in the uh, parameters that are uh, similar to what George had, um, the design frequency, by the way, the, uh, the green in the spreadsheet, the green areas are inputs that you make, and the purple areas are the, uh, the outputs of the, uh, the program. Um, and you can download the spreadsheet and use it offline. It needn't be used online. Anyway, the design frequency is 1.8 megahertz. We had a loop diameter of 7 feet. His was actually a, an octagon, but we approximated uh, per circle here. Um, conductor diameter, 0.75 inches, about 3 quarters of an inch. And uh, for here, we, we figured if there's no additional loss, we'd see what the numbers were like. And the R power was 5 watts. Anyway, plugging in those numbers, um, you can see all the, the good things. The efficiency is only 1.3%, um, which is kind of bad. Um, the radiation resistance, which is what puts out the, the real signal, is only 0.526 milliohms. So that says it's a very, very low uh, radiation resistance. And we have a formula below the efficiency of, uh, of the antenna is the ratio of the radiation resistance to the sum of the radiation resistance and the loss resistance. Um, the spreadsheet lets you calculate what the, the loss resistance is due to skin effect, the diameter of the conductor. The larger the diameter of the conductor, the lower the, uh, the loss resistance. We can see here in the spreadsheet that the loss resistance for uh, with zero added loss uh, loss resistance is 39 milliohms. So with a radiation resistance of only half a uh, half a milliohm, uh, you're wasting 99% of the power just in the resistive loss of the uh, of the loop, skin effect of the loop. If you then plug in um, 
if you can measure, which is what we're doing, if you can measure the ohmic loss resistance due to um, what I'll call DC resistance, um, you can add that in and it will it'll degrade the performance even more. So the idea was that with simple equipment, we were trying to see uh, if we were adding any loss resistance in that would absolutely kill us even worse than this. And what we did was to measure a uh, loss resistance around the loop for all the uh, mechanical connections and the, the uh, gross resistance of the conductors of 10 milliohms. In this case, it wouldn't be bad um, because the, the other loss resistance inherent in the loop is almost 40, uh, 40 milliohms. But um, uh, it, it's definitely a... a uh, <laughs> Almost a losing proposition to lose 90-90% of your power in uh, just generating heat. But the point is, you can plug in other numbers. If you wanted to make this thing more efficient, you could plug in uh, a bigger uh, conductor diameter and add... Uh, size to the loop, make the loop bigger, and then you can see the effect of uh, the uh, the gross DC resistance, which you have very good uh, control over. Uh, you can see the effect of that and see how much improvement you can get by uh, minimizing the uh, ohmic loss. Oh, man, this was so enlightening to me, so depressing to me, Joe. I mean, my day was at its very lowest point when, when we kind of went through this chart together. I mean, I was so low that... Uh, well, 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 I was very low that, at that point. And uh, because I had my heart set on getting on 160 meters, I really want to get on 160. Um, those listeners here know that, that I enjoy AM operation. And there's a lot of AM that happens on 80 meters. There's, there's some good stuff that happens. There's good AM operation that occurs on the gentleman's band. Uh, the top band, uh, 80, 80, uh, 160 meters. But that takes a long antenna and uh, some a lot of real estate or depending on what you're going to do. So I figured, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot, at least investigating the, the loop. And so, you know, for one, let's just round it, round it, you know, 1.323%. Uh, let's say it's 1%. So as Joe said, you know, if I'm putting out five watts, well, that's too much. That, that's too much uh, interpolation of my slide rule here. Let's do 100 watts. If I was putting out 100 watts, it means one watt is going to be getting ultimately to the uh, uh, to the antenna, okay, radiated ultimately. And uh, um, with AM, as you know, it's not. Uh, that's that's only part of the story. You've got a carrier and two sidebands that you're dealing with. However, with the cube, by the way, it's a carrier. And one side band. But uh, so you got more power with the cube, the SDR cube on AM. But nonetheless, one watt is one watt is one watt, and it just does not cut it. So, you know, even if you do, you know, if you're a big whomping, uh, what I'm looking over here, uh, a kilowatt amplifier. And uh, if you've got that in 1% efficiency, um, you're still down a lot less than you want to be. So I, I considered, just as a short uh, finish to this part of the story, I considered another kind of antenna, a vertical antenna. Other problems come about, but at least the efficiencies are better, and I think I'm going to do that way. So this was an enlightening exercise. Uh, depressing, Joe, very, very depressing. Uh, but it was uh, enlightening as far as the measurement techniques that uh, would, would get us there and uh, get us to the answers and that, that would show me. But ultimately, you know, there was kind of an interesting point here, too. We discovered, you you guided me as we were doing the measurement with my clip leads out there in the garage. Um, connection to the loop, Joe, there was just a little bit of a kind of tips and techniques kind of thing as far as how you make the connection there both at the same time for your constant current source and your sensitive DMM. You want to tell us a little bit about that? 
Sure. There's a figure. It's uh, in the in the whiteboard called um, we call it figure one. It's uh, extracted from another source. But um, if you look at the joint to be tested, uh, you have to be very careful in how you hook up the constant current source that plugs this that injects this hundred mils into uh, into the thing to be tested, and then how you measure the voltage. Uh, we use what what's called a four terminal measurement, where the uh, connections to the uh, joint to be tested from the uh, the constant current source are separate from the voltmeter. Um, the voltmeter, uh, the constant current injects this into the joint and then you separately connect the voltmeter uh, across the joint separate from the connections for the constant current source so that the um, additional resistance of just connecting that constant current source into the um, uh, into the joint that doesn't add additional um, loss because there will be some contact resistance from the connectors clip leads or whatever you use to connect it so by separately connecting the uh, the voltmeter you wash out those losses and uh, don't incur an additional um, connection loss uh, when you're doing low resistance measurements like this it's um, very very important to do this. Now, I'm trying to remember. I think it's a, a Keithley connection. I think it's called a Keithley connection um, or more generally a, a four terminal connection to do the, the test. Two other things I wanted to mention in uh, in contact. Kelvin. Okay. Thank you, Clint. Uh, Keithley is a manufacturer of um, uh, equipment. Lord Kelvin was uh, one of the patron saints of, of measurements. Two other things I wanted to mention in, in contact with the loop, you, you can calculate a lot of things like the, uh, the radius resistance of the loop and the uh, uh, skin effect loss resistance in the loop. Um, but there are other things that uh, you can't easily calculate that you want to wash out of the equation. Uh, those are the additional loss resistances. Um, the biggest, uh, biggest contributors are mechanical connections. You have to minimize physical mechanical connections in connecting anything in the loop, the loop pieces or the uh, tuning capacitor to the loop. Uh, you want to use as best you can raised or silver soldered connections because anything that has two pieces of metal coming together, you only have a mechanical joint, you can add something on the order of milliohms, which can absolutely wipe out your connection. Um, the other thing is the type of connect and the capacitor you use. Ordinary capacitors with a Saturn rotor have a um, sliding joint from the rotor to the outside world. This is a is not a good a good electrical connection. It can definitely have resistance in the order of milliohms. I've measured as much as 10 to 30 milliohms, depending on the capacitor. So you want to use something like a split stator capacitor, where you have uh, two two stators on the cap uh, with a rotor that has plates that mesh into both stators. You can look up pictures of them or butterfly capacitors, where the only connection you make is to the uh, the stators, nothing to the rotor. So you have no sliding mechanical joints and you can make good soldered or welded connections to those stators. The other type of capacitor that gets you away from having loss is a vacuum variable cap. They're excellent. They're very low loss. Here too, you can have some loss because you have to make a physical connection to the uh, electrodes of the uh, vacuum variable cap. The thing to do there is to use, if you can, uh, silver plated straps to connect it uh, with good tight mechanical clamps. And to further minimize the, uh, the loss to the uh, physical connection, use some sort of conductive haste between the uh, capacitor body, the capacitor connections, and your um, uh, silver-plated strap. But those are things, uh, both the capacitor, um, if you use a standard cap, you can measure the stator, the rotor loss. And in addition, uh, with this milliometer technique, you can measure the loss to try to minimize it in the physical connections to the uh, vacuum variable. So it's just another uh, another trick in your bag of tricks to try to uh, try to absolutely minimize losses when you're playing with uh, very low 
low values that you'd encounter with uh, with magnetic loops. Great point, Joe. And I was going to remind me that uh, I was going to get a photo of some of the, uh, the vacuum tube, uh, the, the vacuum variable capacitors that I have here that I was intending with such high hopes to use on the 160 meter loop. But uh, you dashed my my dreams, my aspirations. Hey, pal, it'd be great on 40 meters. <laughs> or even 20, even better yet, I know. But uh, I'll just have to save my vacuum variables for a different day and a different frequency. Um, but uh, connecting those vacuum variables was a uh, uh, is a mechanical challenge. And as you said, using some some uh, conductive paste is is a good thing to to do there. Joe, let's get into the uh, the circuits and wrap up the show here tonight. Uh, let's get into the circuit specifically of the uh, of the milliometer. The milliometer is a it's a modern marvel of engineering, design, and circuit theory. And I'll tell you, it, it, rocket science doesn't come close to what we have here for the milliometer. Take a look at that circuit. You'll see a very, very complex uh, arrangement of an LM317 variable voltage um, uh, regulator with some resistors arranged on its third terminal that allow it to produce a constant current, in this case of, of 100 mils. Joe, there's one piece of secret sauce item here in the form of that rheostat. Can you tell us some stories? Yeah, I could tell you stories. Yeah, the the idea is um, use the and this is a circuit stolen from the uh, National Semiconductor uh, Applications Book or the uh, NAT Semi uh, data sheet for the LM317. The idea is you use the um, you develop a voltage on the um, uh, from the current flowing out of the output terminal uh, and put a resistor in series with that and use the internal guts of the LM317 to compare that to the uh, uh, to an internal uh, voltage reference. Um, and by comparing this, and, and it, the Allen 317 automatically adjusts itself to uh, set the output current so that the voltage drop across those resistors gives you um, exactly the, uh, the reference voltage. So then with a simple formula, you know, V equals, uh, uh, IR, uh, you can calculate what the resistors have to be. To get a fine adjustment of uh, 100 mils, exactly 100 mils, um, I used a um, series parallel combination of <coughs> resistors available from Radio Shack and a rheostat. Now, to get the kind of current we want uh, through this to get the right voltage, you need a low voltage rheostat, or I'm sorry, low resistance rheostat. Um, they're kind of rarer than hen's teeth and not, not around too much. But as it turns out, Radio Shack sells a 25-ohm job uh, that has a several-watt power rating. I believe it's used for um, a volume control in a speaker output. But with this uh, assemblage of resistors and capacitors, uh, I'm sorry, fixed resistors and the rheostat, you have a narrow adjustment range of probably uh, 10 or 20 mils around the 100 mil value. So you get a fine adjustment of, uh, of the exact uh, output current of 100 mils. A um, little complicated way of getting it, but it gives you uh, pretty good precision in setting the exact value you want so that you can get uh, good solid readings. Most of the components are very, very available. There's a short parts list here. Um, and, uh, you know, that should take you only an hour or so to warm thing up and put it in a little project box. You have a dedicated piece of test equipment. The other beauty is using this circuit, uh, you don't need an on-off switch. It draws no current from the batteries um, unless you uh, are making an external connection. So um, one component eliminated. How about that? That is really uh, a nifty little circuit. Um, 
I um, I must admit that I, it's on my to-do list to find one of those 25-ohm resistors, uh, the, uh, the the pots. And uh, if and when I do, of course, uh, of course we know it's at Radio Shack, part number 271-265. Um, and I pass by a Radio Shack every day on the way to work there in downtown Baltimore at the Inner Harbor, the illustrious and ever, ever sweet-smelling Inner Harbor. Um, I'll have to pick up one of those uh, those and, and build myself up one of those there, Joe. Um, great, uh, great idea for measuring low resistances. How about then for the audio continuity tester? I mean, the circuit there is pretty straightforward. Uh, we don't have a, we don't have a parts list on that, Joe. Hmm. We'd have to get that kind of straightened out. A PNP transistor is probably like a, a 2N2700 something, Joe. What a 2706 2907 or 3906? Or is it a 3904? 3904 is NPN. <laughs> Bingo. Okay, good. So we got a PNP transistor and that uh, that transformer. Although it looks a little specialty-like, it's really not. I think we can get that also through Radio Shack. I'm not sure. You and I use that on uh, the uh, the Jim Corchy Islander Audio Amp project a number of years ago, a little kit that we put out as part of Atlanticon, and a small little transformer, really handy thing. I still have to dig some out of the uh, uh, out of the workbench, uh, out of the uh, parts box here, and uh, see what I got there. But to having a quick tone oscillator like this is going to be a, another really simple thing to have on your bench. I've got I've got my little my simple little circuits over here on my bench. I'm turning around looking at it. I've got all my nifty-difty sort of equipment, uh, meters and things that I like to collect uh, for really hot-shot measurements. And, uh, but along one level of my shelving, I've got the little open-circuit kind of uh, one-night projects, putting them together. And that's where I'm going to put these, Joe, where I can get them in nice, easy, uh, easy reach when it comes time for needing to measure something there. On the bench. Anything else specific about this uh, audio continuity tester, the quick tone oscillator? Yeah, as it turns out, the um, the the oscillator, the transformer I used was a Radio Shack model. I looked it up online with Radio Shack, and it's now discontinued. However, Mauser has uh, appropriate uh, transformer, and um, I'll look tomorrow and shoot you the number for the equivalent Mauser number. Everything else is pretty um, pretty un uncomplicated. Uh, it's a simple blocking oscillator using the, the transistor, a couple of 0.1 micro caps, and a 10K resistor. Uh, DC power can be um, anything from 1.5 to 9 volts. I usually use just 1.5 volts on the bench um, so that I don't, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about too much voltage applied to anything external. And uh, it's simple to hook up one AA cell. It uh, also has the beauty <coughs> that since... The test terminals are in series with the bias resistor. You don't have to turn, uh, you don't need an on-off switch. It's turned on and off by, uh, by you using it, by connecting it. <coughs> Excuse me, something external. And uh, another usage I didn't mention that's kind of indicated, <coughs> pardon, in this uh, diagram, <coughs> is that it, uh, it will use a code practice switch. Kind of buzzy and awkward, but uh, simple to do. <coughs> Again, stuff we've built with pretty, uh, pretty simple to find components. Um, unsophisticated, uh, give you an idea of what's going on. One other thing George didn't mention was, uh, <clears throat> I think he has some photos he took of my um, constant current source for the milliometer, so perhaps he can add them to the uh, the whiteboard uh, um, in the uh, uh, after the show's over. Back to you, George. I forgot all about that. Sorry about that, Joe. I will get that, plus the part number for your trans uh, your transformer that you found at Mauser. Thank you for doing that. That's going to be really handy for those of us who, uh, the multitudes who reproduce the circuits here presented on Chat with the Designers every other week or so. I mean, you 
do-it-yourselfers, they're uh, probably amassing a a whole bench full of useful circuits, and so we certainly encourage you to do that, and we definitely want to get you that transformer number for that. So uh, that'll be good. Um, You know, it strikes me, Joe, that uh, not only could you do code practice practice oscillator type of thing, uh, on-off, binary, uh, the earliest type of uh, communication, uh, digital communication that there was, you could also put eight switches and eight different resistors along in that circuit such that uh you know each of the eight switches closed on a different resistor giving you a different tone and using one hand and three extra fingers you could do olivier you could generate multi-tone frequencies that uh that could be in a proper tone uh, in the proper sequence it could be transmitting on the air in the in the form of digital communications called olivier that uh we often t- uh, hear and tune it around on the bands and and it sort of sounds like that and son of a gun this could be the very most basic form of olivier uh modulator and uh, I think you're onto something there, Joe. We could uh, we could even think of a patent on that one. <laughs> All right. And um, actually, another use Tony has made of it. Um, you could use it as a um, a crude uh, audio meter uh, if you have a comparator that um, um, inserts different resistance values depending on the um, um, outputs of the, of the comparator, multi uh, multi output comparator, um, to indicate a voltage by uh, different tone levels. Um, one other thing I meant to mention, while the circuit here shows a PNP transistor, if you swap the battery collector, the battery polarity you could also use an NPN um, with uh, equivalent results. Just have to watch the polarity uh, if you're measuring diodes on the uh, on the test terminals. I think you'd have to switch the uh, the terminals on the speaker and each of those uh, 0.1 caps, and just to be sure, probably the 10K resistor too, right? Negative. All you have to do is uh, swap the battery if you use an NPN. The emitter-based connectors still stay connected in the same place. <laughs> okay. okay, Joe. It almost sounded like you thought I was serious, but that's that's good. We're good. We're, it's a good team. Okay, does anybody have any comments about the, uh, the very serious nature of tonight's show and the concepts presented and so on, and maybe even your own stories to add along the way as far as Measuring contact resistance and and uh, oh gosh, you know that comes to mind. I had some some relays that all of a sudden stopped relaying because the contact resistance was so great, and and I had to be careful about that. But anyways, that's a that's something to look into if you're using like a TR switch. Often experienced because of the fatigue of uh, constant use, especially like in CW type of con, um, con, uh, QSOs that turn out to be very, uh, you know, at high speed type of uh, nearing QSK capability, but frequency. So uh, anybody have any stories about your own uh, bench uh, experiences with contacts that you want to kind of add before we wrap things up here tonight? JJ, go ahead, man. What do you say, George? So, yeah, I mean, I've over the years I've come upon, and especially in in the um, G and GE and other places I've worked, where they've had uh, some fatal flaws when you start mixing connectors that are gold uh, flashed on on nickel with other type of of, of material. Um, what you see over time is a is a higher and higher resistance, and um, so that it's, it seems to be a common problem. And any, any stress points on any, we had a situation with a RG174 being terminated in the center of a board and the constant vibration. disconnected from your channel. 
and the constant vibration basically ended up um, dropping that out, you know, forcing a high resistance connection over time. And then the the third point I wanted to make is uh, I have I got hold of a couple of the uh, Genrad uh, bug hounds, which are tracing devices. And I get, I think uh, Joe, I gave you schematics for that, which la- allows you to look for uh, where is a short circuit on a bus or a printed circuit board. Where exactly is the short? And it uses the Kevin Kelvin uh, principle for wire type uh, measurements. All right. Good, good points, JJ. And thanks for tossing that in there. You know, that reminds me that uh, when I started off working, I was way back at Kodak in the early days, in my early days, and I was doing technician work to start off with. And right next to our lab was a materials engineer. And he was always into these kinds of things about which materials, uh, electrical materials kind of made up with what other kind of materials and things to do and things not to do and so on. And uh, that that's precisely what, what he was looking at, uh, at least in part, um, was the the, uh, the effects of connecting, you know, touching different metals to each other, um, either just electrical or, or abrasive type of swiping of mechanical type of connections and so on. And that's an entire science. And like Joe said earlier, you know, electrical connections are often just about off are often just about the physical connecting, the touching of, of metals, not as you know, the the actual soldering is is lesser a um, an occasion than it is just of pressing metal, sliding pins into sockets, um, and things of that nature, touching contacts, relay contacts. It's all mechanical touching to touching type of thing. Good, thank you. Um, any other comments before we wrap? All right. Um, I'm going to wrap her up here tonight, Joe, and then I'll let you say the final goodbye. But uh, since you were doing all the talking, really appreciate your insight and uh, experience sharing that here with us. Uh, It's easy to see the uh, all of that experience that you've accumulated over the years and you kind of bring it to your hobby. You bring it to your friends here. And uh, I, for one, just kind of uh, gobble that up and, and, uh, remember it and document it and use it in my own, uh, as part of my own growth. So I hope that you all here on, on, uh, the live show and on listening on podcasts were able to kind of catch some pieces of wisdom, uh, as, uh, kind of basic as some of the items are, um, it is uh, valuable stuff. We encounter these things every day, just about every day in the bench, when building a project, when interconnecting the radios and signals, and uh, um, from a microphone connection and audio to RF, and trying to measure some of the low resistances that we have, be it that um, the loop connections, like the example that I was doing, uh, the quality of our uh, of um, solder connections is another example. Um, I don't know. We don't have time to go into it now, but I'd be interested sometime in exploring what the characteristics are of a of a uh, of a poorly uh, of a poorly soldered connection a cold solder joint as it were and what some of the things that would result from that and that might even be able to be measured so I hope we gave you some insight and at the end of this project at the end of this show here we gave you two projects as uh, we often try to do for those who wish to uh, take the principles and extend them on just a little bit further what are some simple easy ways that you can Put together a circuit to demonstrate the principles, the characteristics, the uh, the phenomena, the unexplained, the outer limits of uh, of a radio theory uh, here that we explore on Chat with the Designers. So uh, with that, um, I will say thank you all for attending and turn it over to Joe to uh, close you down for tonight. Very good. Thank you, George. Yeah, uh, you know, it was really fun uh, putting this material together for tonight. Um, 
trying to take some of our practical experience and uh, uh, giving some rigor to uh, methods for measuring continuity, measuring resistance, uh, to make things very practical. And that's our goal generally, to give you practical things you can duplicate and uh, give you a little takeaway on them to uh, make, it, make life easier and uh, give you more fun. Thanks again for participating, and uh, we'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks where we'll have a new and exciting topic. 7-3.